Well, it's good to be back with you. Man, we missed you so much being away. It was it was nice uh, vacation, but it's really good to be back home with you. Uh, one of the beautiful things about the church is that it's not about me. Uh, and I love that. So that when I go away, man, there's people like Leanne and so many other people that just fill in and God speaks through them and God does what only God can do. And, and I love that. Um, it's about us, and that's that's the beauty of the church. And so, uh, but it is so so good to be back with you. We're really excited uh, because this week, uh, this coming Saturday, uh, is going to be our first day for good. We've been partnering with the city. Uh, we've been partnering with the Chamber of Commerce. We've been partnering with other businesses. We've had businesses who have been sponsoring uh, this, and we uh, are so excited to be able to get into the community and serve them, but we're not just serving them because it's a good thing to do, although that is a good thing to do. We're serving them because that is a part of the, the message of the gospel, right? That Jesus said, I came from heaven not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And that is what we're called to do as well. In fact, one of the really cool things about Jesus, as he begins to teach those around him, they recognize Jesus is a big deal. I mean, if you can turn water into wine, you're going to be the life of the party, right? But if you can raise people from the dead, you're unstoppable. And so Jesus' friends, his closest people who, who are called the disciples, they see Jesus and he's doing all these amazing things. And so they begin to say, like, when this guy hits it big, who's going to be second in command? Who's going to be third in command? And so he has to eventually pull them aside and he says, listen, no, 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 no. You don't understand how my kingdom works. If, if you ever get leverage if you ever get power, if you ever get authority, if you ever get privilege, if you ever get money, if you ever get any of those things that would like advance you in life and you're in my kingdom, then you use those things to leverage it for someone else. And that's, that's a part of the message of the gospel that we love to live into here at Wellhouse, that we get to leverage the things that God has given us for other people. And that's what a day for good is all about that we want to come together with our community and leverage what we have to help other people. And we have a lot of service opportunities, and so many people have registered already, and it's, it's really exciting. So I know a lot of you have registered, and you're getting prepared. You've been thinking about it. You're like, I don't even remember what time I'm supposed to. So this Saturday, it's this Saturday, uh, show up at the Goodlessville Middle School by 9 a.m. Show up at the, middle, uh, the Goodlessville Middle School by 9 a.m., this coming Saturday, uh, you show up there. We're going to have hopefully some breakfast food there for you. Uh, and then we're going to give you the job assignments and we're going to go out and we're going to serve other people because our God served us. And then we're going to come together uh, at City Hall later in the afternoon around noon. There's going to be some food trucks there, a live band there, a magician there. It is not me. Some of you saw. I, I saw it was Magic Steve. That's a pretty lame name. And I, and I would come up with a lame name like that, but it's not me. So, But I promise Magic Steve is good. He just maybe needs to work on his magic name. That's all. That's all I'm saying. Um, <laughs> He's good, I promise. I've seen him. He's, he's a great guy. Uh, but it's not me incognito. So I just, uh, just want to throw that out there. 
Uh, but come on out. It's going to be, I promise it's going to be a really, really good time, a fun time, not only to serve and get back, but to, to fellowship and celebrate together. Uh, looking forward to doing that with you all and other people as well. This series we are in the middle of right now, we've been going over over the last several weeks together called At War, and the whole idea, the premise behind this is that there are things that we don't see that are at war to, to over our heart and our mind every day, but we don't feel that way, right? You, don't, you didn't wake up this morning and think to yourself like, all right, today I'm at war. You might have thought that with your body, right? As you kind of like try to roll out of bed, you're like, okay, Okay, that was the first struggle today. But you typically, we don't ever think like, okay, I'm at war today and there's something that's battling for my heart or there's something that's battling for my mind. We don't typically think that way. But over the last couple of weeks, hopefully, uh, that we begin to recognize some of those things in our life that, that are idols. And, and that's, that's kind of an archaic word. We don't use that word a lot in today's uh, kind of talk. But, but they are idols. And we talked about this, this idea of idol is anything that you hope will give you or anything that promises to give you what only God can give you. That's an idol. And I don't know about you, but over the last couple of weeks, I've been a little bit convicted, right? Have, have you over the last couple of weeks, you've been like, that hurt a little bit. That made me think, a little, just me. Cool. That's good. That's good. Okay. Hey, you can talk back. This isn't a museum. I mean, we can, we can dialogue, right? You've been there where it's like, all right, God, you're convicting me of some things in my life that I did not recognize before as an idol, but maybe I'm seeing how it really is battling for my heart and my mind, uh, and I don't even recognize it most of the time. Today, we're going to talk about um, a particular idol, and I will tell you, it is one that we idolize uh, outwardly so many times. In fact, it's, it's an idol that I think we brag about. And here's how it looks. How many of you have ever been home before, and at the end of the day, you had a, like the to-do list of stuff to do, right? And at the end of the day, you told somebody like, man, I was going to get to that, but today was just so busy. Been there before? Or somebody tried to schedule a lunch with you or a dinner with you or an outing with you or a weekend with you or five minutes with you. And you're like, you know, let me check my schedule because I'm just so busy. You've been there before? Or you start to think, you know what, we're going to implement some stuff at home. Uh, you know, like, listen, I, the, I, I know we should be praying together. I know we should be doing Bible study together. I know we should do all those things. But at the end of the day, you're just so tired and you've just been so busy that you didn't wind up implementing those things. And so it just never really happened. And then days turn into weeks, turn into months, turn into years. It just never happened because you were just too busy to do it. I read a statistic that said, and this was, this was just mind-blowing, that was talking about guys who, who develop well into their, into their personhood, and, and they feel a strong sense of moral self uh, to them and to others, and they grow up, and, and they feel like, like they're in tune with not only their emotions, but how to deal with them well, and, and that they're giving back to society. It said that they have three components to their life. 
three components of their life. Number one, they surround themselves by fathers. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean their father. It means father figures in their life who will mentor them, who will support them, who will encourage them, who will give them guidance in their life. They're surrounded by people who are their brothers. That means that they're in in a group of people who are roughly their same age, roughly their same walk of life, who they can share and and understand that they're not crazy, they're not kind of normal, right? And then they surround themselves with people who are sons. It may not be their sons, right? But they're people that they can mentor in life. And they said, those people, those guys who who have those three areas of life, a father figure, so father figures in their life, brothers in their life, and sons in their life, people that they are mentoring, are the most well-adjusted guys you'll find. The problem with that is if you talk to guys that say, man, that sounds okay to me, but where am I ever going to find the time to do that. I work all day. And when I come home, I, I, I work at home, and then I finally I'm exhausted at the end of the day. How would I ever find time for that? I think about things like this when, when James says, true religion is this, to look after the orphans and the widows, and it's like, uh, that's great, but how am I ever going to find time to do all those things? In fact, I was reading a statistic a few weeks ago, and it said there are 424,000 kids, roughly, approximately, in the foster care system at any one time. There are 380,000 churches, so roughly, if there were two families in, in any church that would, I would just say, you know what, we have enough time to invest in this, then that whole system wouldn't have a problem. And I don't think it's that we don't care. I think sometimes it's just that we feel like we don't have the time to invest. In fact, some of us would say, listen, the reason why I feel like I'm a a bad husband or a bad father or or a bad wife or a bad mom is that we feel like at the end of the day, we just don't have enough time. And yet, it seems as though oftentimes we kind of brag about it. Like we compare schedules. Have you ever been to this a weird contest of like who has the busiest schedule? You've been there before, right? It's like, well, what are you doing this weekend? Well, I have to, you know, I have to take this person to this practice, and then, and then we're going there, and then we have to make sure we're doing this, and then I have to figure out how to mow the yard in between all of that. We're going to clean it up our house because we have this thing coming up. And then the next person's like, well, whew, if I only had to do that, I might be able to get some other things done because you should listen to what I have going on. And it's like back and forth, and we idolize this idea of busyness, but here's here's the catch. Here's the catch. When busyness becomes an idol, rest will feel like a sin. When busyness is an idol, then rest will feel like a sin because here's what you would never say to your friends. You would never say to your family. You you would never post this out on Facebook land or Instagram land or Snapchat. You would never put this out there. It's like, man, I have nothing to do all weekend. I have so much time on my hands that I literally am going to sit around completely bored. You would never in a million years do that. Because when busyness is an idol, rest feels wrong. It feels like a sin. 
And so in our lives, in our culture, we idolize this idea of busyness. We're going to look at a scripture today. It's a small, small snippet of scripture, but I think it really helps us understand kind of where Jesus was and the things that Jesus did and the practices that Jesus had in his life. And hopefully that will help you and I if we find that we, we too buy into the culture and to the idol of busyness. It's found in Luke chapter 5. So if you have your Bible, you can flip on over there. Or if you have your Bible on your phone, you can scroll on over there. If there's a new way to have your Bible, I don't know what that is yet, but you can use that too. It's in Luke chapter 5, and it's, it's in verse 15, but before we get there, I really want to set the stage for you. In case you don't know a whole lot about the life of Jesus, Jesus was born here on earth, uh, and he, at about the age of 30, he starts his ministry. Now, he's only going to live for another three years, but he has three years to, to really begin to kind of usher in the, what God is wanting to do through him. So he's going to teach, and he's going to preach, and he's going to do all these miracles, and he's going to point people to, to the kingdom of God, which is the kingdom of God is the rule and reign uh, of God in the hearts and lights of, of humanity. That's the kingdom of God. It's the rule and reign of God in the hearts and lives of humanity. So that's what he's going to do. That's what he's going to show people what the kingdom of God is. And he's going to teach about it and he's going to preach about it and he's going to love people to that end. He's got three years. Three years. Now, those of you who are young, three years feels like a long time. Those of you who have a little bit of gray, three years is like this, right? In fact, many times I'm always telling a story. I'm, I'm like this. Uh, a couple of months ago, I was, and then I realized it was a decade ago, right? How many of you have ever told a story where you're like, oh man, that was a lot longer ago than what I thought because time goes so quick. And here's Jesus. He starts this, this, this ministry where it's going to change the whole world. He's got three years. Now, you would think, like I would think, okay, if he's going to do this, man, he's got to make every second count. He's got to make, you know, he's got to, he might as well just give up sleeping because that, he's not going to have time for that, right? He's going to have to learn multitasking to, to the finest degree. So here's what happens. Luke chapter 5, the very beginning he begins, Luke's account, he begins getting these disciples together. He gathers around 12 disciples that he's going to teach and be with on a, a deeper, more personal level. And he's going to give them you know, his teaching, right? And so he picks a couple of them. He heals a person. And then we find this section of scripture. As he, as he gathers a few disciples, he heals a person, of course, if you heal somebody, news is going to spread. This is what happens in Luke chapter 5, verse 15. Yet the news about him, Jesus, spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed by their sicknesses, right? Which is what you say, all right, this is important for Jesus because if he's going to get his message out, you want groups of people, huge groups of people to come and hear and listen and their lives be changed and be healed. Verse 16, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Other verses say it this way. He, he often went by, by himself and rested. That's weird. If you got three years to make it count, 
Why, why is Luke saying you often do this? Not occasionally, not rarely, not a few times in the course of time, he would go off by himself lonely, alone, and pray and rest. Maybe if this was a practice of the Son of God, then maybe, just maybe, this is a practice that you and I need to begin in our lives too. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for you. Rest is a habit that Jesus often participated in. But before I think we can begin to kind of crack uh, open what, what was going on there with Jesus and why rest is so important. I think we have to be real about the problem of busyness. I think we have to openly address what busyness is about for us. Because if we're never honest with that, we will never get over it. I think there's a couple of reasons why we value, why we value busyness so much. The first one is if we are busy, we feel important. We feel important. Imagine if I came up to you after service today and I was like, hey, listen, uh, we, we really could use some extra help for a day for good. Is there any way that you might be able to help us Saturday morning? And you were like, Steve, listen, if you need help anytime during the week, it doesn't really matter. I'm not doing anything. In fact, I never do anything. I literally sit around never doing anything. And we laugh about that because what it feels like is saying, like, I'm, I don't do anything important. But when I'm busy, boy, am I important. Boy, do people need me. Boy, do people want me. Boy, do people see me as a valuable asset and they want to be with me and they want a piece of my time and I have something valuable to give to them. And so the busier I am, the more important I feel. Well, I just might be able to pencil you in here. I might be able to kind of schedule some time in with you. It might be, you know, Tuesday between 8.30 and 8.45. I'll give you a little piece of my time. But the rest of the time I'm booked up, I'm busy, I'm valuable, I'm important. And so a part of the value of busyness is really about us. To say, listen, I'm so important. I got so many things going on. But listen, that's the easiest pill to swallow of the value of busyness. The second reason I think that we value busyness is because when we're busy, we can ignore the deeper issues. Can I be real with you for a minute? Okay, if you say no, then I can't. I'm just not, we'll skip this part. <laughs> if you sit and look at me, I'm not going to know how to respond to that. So you can talk back, it's okay. All right, so I'm going to tell you something, but you have to, you have to promise that you're not going to tell other people. If you're online, I'm going to trust you. <clears throat> there are times in my life where that is just true. There are times in my life where my wife's like, hey, Steve, we've got to talk about this. I'm like, listen, I would love to talk about that, but I'm way too busy. I want to talk about that right now. Because when I'm busy, I can ignore the deeper problems of Steve. And I don't have to address those because I'm too busy. And my guess is that there might be some of you that that's true for. You keep yourself preoccupied so you don't ever have to deal with the deeper stuff of you. 
And so the moment you begin to kind of settle in and wrestle with, and there's some thoughts that begin to creep into your mind, like, why do I do the, you immediately begin to think about other things you can do besides confronting yourself on the deeper issues. You've been there before? Come on now, church. You've been there before? <sighs> Once, <laughs> earlier today, one time, one time I sinned, that was it. All right, if we're going in in, an order of hardness, here's the next one. You ready? If we're busy, we can say no to the things that push us outside of our comfort zone. If we're busy, we can say no to the things that push us outside of our comfort zone. Hey, man, are you free this Friday night? Because, listen, we're moving and you're like, mm, oh, I am busy with everything. <laughs> I have everything going on that night. Can, one of the things that has baffled, I've been in ministry for 22 years. And this has been true for 22 years. If there's a time where we're like, hey, listen, we're going to have a prayer night where we're dedicated to just praying and seeking out the Holy Spirit and just asking for God to intervene. Like, I'll show up and I'll be like, where did everybody go? They're like, man, listen, I would find anything other than do than sit around with Steve and pray all night. I would do anything. Because when we find something that's going to push us out of our comfort zone, we will find anything to fill that void. And there's been so many times I've talked to couples and they're struggling in their marriage. It's like, listen, how about, here's what we should do. We should get together with another couple that you admire and we'll spend some time. And you can listen to them and ask them questions about what they do in their marriage. And all of a sudden, their schedules are so full, they would never have time in the next five years to help out their marriage at all. Because it pushes them outside of their comfort zone. When we place an unhealthy value of busyness, our lives get ruled by busyness. And we don't have any time left for the things that truly matter in this life. And I wonder, I've been wondering this over the last couple of weeks, if some of the biggest problems in my life, some of the biggest problems in your life, don't stem from the fact that I try to do too much too fast. Like, what if God, you know, isn't in all of the crazy, busy, hubbub stuff? What if it's like in the still, small voice still? And that's where he wants to meet me. But I never sit down for it. And what if God is true to his word? To tell you what, open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 11. Open up your Bible to Matthew chapter, or scroll there. Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 28, he says this. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burned. How many of you over the last two and a half years have felt a little bit of weariness and or burden? Be honest. All right, there we go. Seven of us. Cool. The rest of you, God bless you. 
I don't identify with you. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's almost as if God knows what we need, and we just flat out refuse it. Those of you who have children, I want you to think about this. You know that you know the time of night when your little one, remember your little one, and it was like they would go bonkers right before they needed to go to bed. And it was like all of a sudden it was like demons were possessing them. And they could do a million things at once. And you're like, oh my goodness, you know, like we need Haldol, we need a tranquilizer, we need something, duct tape, we need chains, we need because you knew what they didn't know is that they needed to go to bed. And you would say, it's time to go to bed. And they're like, I can't go to bed. I'm, you know, they're bouncing off the wall. And it's because they just needed rest. And what if this is God through his son Jesus saying, hey, listen, there's going to be times where you're feeling weary and burdened. There's going to be times where you look around and you're like, what is happening in life? And why am I feeling so anxious? Why am I feeling so depressed? Why am I feeling so overwhelmed? Why, why is the, the, it seems like the sky is falling or I'm, I'm feeling so alone in all of this. And he says, listen, listen, if you feel that way, come to me. It's time for rest. And you're like, no, 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 it can't be that. It can't be that. And what if the life of Jesus and the patterns of Jesus show us, hey, listen, there were so many, listen, I'm going to tell you if there's something about Jesus. There were so many times he would go off by himself and pray and rest. He's not done. He says, come to me, all you who are, who are burdened and weary, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke. This is, the yoke is the teaching, the understanding, the implementation of Jesus Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn what I do. Learn how I did it. From gentle and humble in heart. And then he repeats this phrase again as almost like you didn't catch it the first time. Let me throw it again. And you will find rest for your soul. See, God wants to give you in the hubbub in the craziness of life in all the worries of finance or relationship the job hustle and bustle and political turmoil and racial tension all the wonderings and worries of this life what if what God wants to do is say, listen, yeah, we have a lot of stuff going on. And it's going to be jam-packed in just a little bit of time. But if you don't take time out to rest with me, you will be overcome with weariness and burden. So how do we do that? How do we embark on this thing that God wants to give us, but so oftentimes we dismiss because we value busyness? Well, I can tell you this, the first, the first step is going to be the hardest, and that is this, is that rest is best alone. Rest is best alone. That there's times where God needs to talk to you, but it needs to be just you. And for those of some of you in the room, you're like, I can't even go to the bathroom by myself. And somebody's like trying to knock down the door to ask me a question. 
And if that's you or that's been you before, you understand that. But it doesn't have to be big amounts of time. Sometimes it's four minutes a day, five minutes a day, 15 minutes a day. As you're by yourself and you begin to say, God, I recognize that I value busyness and life over rest in you. Can you help me? I recognize the weariness. I recognize the burden, but I need to find rest in you. Would you help me? Defining just a few short minutes every day is huge. I recognized this a few years ago. This was another faux pas of mine. That I thought rest and vacation were the same thing. Yeah, see, some of you are wiser than me. <clears throat> rest and vacation, not the same thing. Uh, vacation is, is for recreation and rest is for, for time with God, right? So vacations can be good and, and you can have lots of adventure. We just went on a vacation, but I can tell you, you know, taking six kids anywhere, there's not restful. Uh, we went to Disneyland and I, like, I almost had a heart attack. I mean, it was just constant pull and tug and I was like, man, I only I had to take out another mortgage on my house just to buy drinks at the park for our family. You know, it was not restful. It's good. Not restful. But what is rest in God? Here's what I think I know about finding rest in God. Rest in God gives us the opportunity to be real with who we are and real about who God is. It's time enough to say, listen, God, I, I need to go away just for a few moments. I know that there's a crazy busy schedule. I know there's a lot of things to do. But if I don't find out who I am and I don't find out who you are, I can't take another step forward in this life process. That's rest. That's understanding how we make it another day. See, I believe the reason why Jesus so oftentimes went away to lonely places was he was wrestling with this idea of, I don't know if I can do this. In fact, I know that's true because he prayed to the Father, listen, I don't want to do this, but your will, not my will, be done. And I wonder if we would ever be honest with God about those things. God, listen, I don't know how to be the best dad, but I need you to strengthen me and show me how to do God, I don't know how to be the best wife or the best husband. I don't know how to be the best coworker, the best friend. I don't know how, what it means to be the best Christian in an era where it seems so tense all the time. God, would you show me how? And let me rest in you till I feel like I can be there again. And here's what's crazy, is that I believe that there is power through that resting process in God. And here's why. Remember that story we were reading in Luke chapter 5? Flip back over, scroll back over there. Luke chapter 5, uh, starting there, starting there in, in, in verse 15, 16, and verse 17. Jesus goes away, and he rests, and then he comes back, and listen what happens. One day as Jesus was teaching, the Pharisees and the teacher of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. What's he up against? 
Come on now, church. What do you know about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law? And they come out from everywhere to see Jesus. What do we know? It's on, right? It's about to be war. These are the people that want to critique him. They're the people that want to eventually kill him. They're the people that do. And listen what happens in the next verse. He comes back from resting. All the lions are gathered around him. And this is what it says. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. The lions are around. He could be distracted by all the other things. But Jesus knew in his mind what his mission was to do. He wasn't going to waste his time with all the people who were the barking dogs, right? That he was there for a mission. And he stayed true to that mission. See, when we are filled with rest from God, it fills us up in a way that we remember what our mission is in this life. Ben, if you'll come on up, back up to the stage as we kind of close out some thoughts together. There's this, uh, there's this Jewish practice. It happens generally at the beginning of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a day that, that's kept holy, and usually it begins the night uh, as, as the Sabbath enters. And, and what happens is, is there's a cup, and this cup is a special cup. Uh, it generally has a saucer at the bottom, and it's called the Kaddush cup. The Kaddush cup really is supposed to be filled to the brim, and then it overflows so that the saucer gets the extra and then what happens is they drink from the extra first, and that cup never depletes. They pray a blessing over it, and it never depletes through the Sabbath, the day of rest. 23rd Psalm talks about, man, he leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. And do you remember the phrase in there about a cup? You remember that? He puts, a, he puts a banquet in front of me, in front of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. It's the cup of Kadesh. It's the cup of rest. That it continually overflows. And we get to sip from the overflow. We get to sip from the abundance and can I be honest with you? I think most of us sip from an empty cup. I think that's where bitterness, skepticism, hatred, heartache, hurt, those things come from an empty cup. Not this cup that, that God promises us that is life overflowing in John, he says, I came to give life, Kadesh, to the full, overflowing. It's rest in him. And here's what's great about this, is that you're thinking to yourself, but, but I have a real life, and I have, I have a job, and I have kids, and I have a family, and I have things to do, and I don't have time. Or maybe I, I, I run this corporation, or I, I run my business, or I run my household, and I just I don't have time. To do that. Well, then I want to point you back to the ministry of Jesus who had three years and he often went away to lonely places. But if you don't believe that, then believe this that when we seek God in our rest, he becomes more present in our work. 
When we seek God in our rest, he becomes more present in our work. When we spend time with him in our alone places, he begins to shine out of us more when we're around other people and they see him in us. And maybe that's the problem these days. We love to point the fingers at everybody else. Well, this is, this is the reason why. Maybe it's just a group of Christians who have forgotten one of the things that Jesus did so often, that he would go alone by himself with the Father. And he would rest in the Father until he was ready for the world. Would you pray with me? God, we, we love you. But help us to love you more. And we trust you, but help us to trust you more. Help us to come to you in our times of weariness and burden. Man, when we feel so overwhelmed. God, and we confess today that we do that for a myriad of reasons. Some of us, this is because it makes us feel better about ourselves or makes us assume that other people think we're important. For some of us, it's our way of escape. We don't want to deal with certain things in our life, so we just fill our life full of stuff. There's some of us who we fill our lives for things because we want to say no to the things that make us uncomfortable. But God, would you help us today deal with the mess? Help us find rest in you. That's what you want for us. Father, you want to fill us to the point where we overflow and give the overflow out to those around us. So God, would you challenge us in this this week to find time, five minutes a day, 10 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day, where we are alone with you and we confess and we share from our heart and we ask for you to fill us up in a way that you never had before. We've never felt before because we've never taken that time before. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who showed us how not only to die on this earth, but to live. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.